see Gabriel, Mythic Deviant. Welcome. Today, the archetype of the trickster. You may notice that I'm starting with comparatively dist members of the archetypal family. That is because we need them more. Tricksters are surprising, devious, and clever. Tricksters are creatures who communicate mythically rather than literally. They are charade players, not mimes. Poets, not journalists. Storytellers, not scribes. Tricksters are fun. Usually, if you're on the right end of the trick. Tricksters often are the only ones who can get us out of trouble, and they're often the ones who got us in. Because tricksters like more than anyone else to poke at reality, they tend to get bored. Many traditions see tricksters as our way to access the divine. The oracle speaks a prophecy. It is poetic and either beautiful or scary. In any case, it's obfuscated. We try to figure it out and act according to our theories on what that might actually mean, but then we're surprised by what it means in the end, even though we see the way that it was actually true. Remember in 2012, there was a lot of weirdness around the end of the Aztec calendar? The Aztec calendar did and did not say that the world would end. It said that the current world would end. The Aztecs believed that one world happened after another, and that when we were all oriented around a single thing... That was a world. So we're ending the world that we were all oriented around materialism, and we're entering a new world. And that could look totally scary, like the entire material world is going to be destroyed, and we will all be out of bodies, or we will all go into rapture. And some people believe that. But some people believed it was happening on the solstice, which is a completely arbitrary date people threw in. That's the storyteller. That's not the trickster. They're different. But this orientation change could also look like Trader Joe's, Costco, or farming and building technologies that allow us to access the resources we need to survive without orienting our entire lives around that quest. This frees us up for other endeavors. Enter the other world. Right now, it looks like we're orienting around information, but some of us are vying for connection and the votes aren't all in. We don't actually change worlds in one night, no matter how powerful the solstice is. I'm going to have a couple podcasts on trickster, but today I'm looking at the innocuous tricksters because they make life interesting. They're not scary. They're not heroic. They're just fun. Our first story is Greek. You'll notice that I do that a lot. That's because most people know something about Greek. One of Zeus's many affairs is with Maya, a beautiful titan. In Greek myth, titans are the prior set of gods. Prior gods are older gods, but they aren't old. They're mortal. But they're connected to the power of nature, usually, and current gods like Zeus are connected to the power of humanity. So when you have an older god, that's about nature power. Maya has a bouncing baby boy god that she names Hermes. Later that afternoon, when she wakes up from her post-delivery nap, she sees him playing a lyre, which puts her right back to sleep. Childbirth takes a lot of energy and largely removes her from the story. Hermes, finding himself incarnated, is bored. So he goes out to see what he can see, and what he sees is a herd of red cattle. When babies are born, they generally only see black, white, and red, so these red cows are by far the most interesting thing he has ever encountered. He wants them. But he does not want to get busted, so he looks around and notices that wherever he walks, there are human-shaped footprints, while cows' hoof prints are rather different. So he makes all the cows' shoes, straps them on the animals, and walks them out. He found an awesome super-secret hiding place on the way to the field, so he heads back there. He takes two of the cows and slaughters them. 
the real mystery here is who gave the four-hour-old a knife. He kills the cattle, offers sacrifices, harvests an additional passing turtle, and creates the lyre before rushing home to sing his napping mom back to sleep. He is that good. Meanwhile, his big brother Apollo, the sun god, has noticed that his cows seem to have been abducted by aliens. So he inquires, largely asking the satyrs and the birds, who people tend not to take very seriously, and who therefore actually know what's going on. They report that the kid took them and point him at the cave. Birthing sweets were not yet a thing. Apollo bursts in and glares at the newborn placidly playing the lyre. His anger turns to admiration. What is it, he asks. A lyre, the baby Hermes announces. Want to play? And Apollo does, making him the world's first rock star and god of music. Forget the cows. Can I have this? Apollo asks, and Hermes agrees. The next day, Apollo stops by with the world's first drummer and finds Hermes playing yet another instrument, this one made out of reeds. Hey, he says, I'll give you my staff for that. You can be lord of the cows. I've moved on, he says as he winks at the lovely and talented woman by his side. Deal, squeals the infant. Zeus, who's been watching his sons work it out the whole time, steps in to chat with his new son. You just stole his stuff and made him love you for it, then give you more. I want you on my side. You want to be my messenger? God of communication, maybe? Bring it on, the baby announces, and quickly attains his rank as the 12th Olympian, Messenger god who lords over communications, thieves, trade, and herders, herdsmen, bards, and other folks who wander around when not lost. And here's one in life. This is an actually true story that I told on a stage, because it's all about me. When I was a kid, I was a compulsive liar. I lied about absolutely everything. If I'd gone to QFC, I would say I went to Safeway. If I went to the beach, I'd report I went to the mall. I was protecting myself from my family. Shortly after I left home at 15, I did something I didn't want to admit. The funny thing is, I can't actually remember what it was that I did. In any event, I was quizzed about it and I lied. But over time, my lie had to get more and more complex and I had to remember it over and over in a long time period. And a couple months later, I vowed to myself that from that day forth, I would never again do something I wouldn't admit to. I would never again lie. I'm safe from my family, and I just didn't want to have to remember pointless crap anymore. Now, one would think that this would make me stop doing stupid things. Fear not. I was not so self-limiting. Instead, while I did stupid things, I thought about how I was going to spend them. Well, I'd think I can admit to eating a pint of ice cream if I just explained that I hadn't eaten in three days because I wanted to lose weight. But then I got so hungry that I thought I'd pass out. But that day, I was going to have to walk along the ledge of a cliff with a 12-foot overhang, and I was afraid I would fall to my death. Obviously, eating a pint of ice cream was the only responsible thing to do. As I get better at honestly talking about what I did, I also got better at honestly seeing why I did those things. After a while, I saw my mistakes as lessons and learned to see my nasty habit of cussing people out when they woke me up as self-protection. But that allowed me to actually find ways to protect myself without slandering my friends. I can't remember a single thing that I did not do because of my self-imposed no-lying rule. Instead, I just learned to talk about everything. One day, when I was in college, I was sitting at a table with a group of my classmates, and we were all asked to take an anonymous survey on our sex lives. We agreed, and we each sat with our arms out, protecting our papers so the others couldn't see. I got to the question, how many times per week do you get engaged in sexual behaviors? Five, I accurately wrote. Then how many partners do you have? 
Zero was my honest reply, and then I just started cracking up. I announced my answer to the table, and everybody laughed at me, too. But in the next week, everyone else there came to me later, one by one, to talk to me about their sex lives. They each admitted lying on the survey and confided the differences between what was actually going on and what they wished. They asked me for guidance. Only because I was the only person who was willing to talk about humiliating stuff. And one of my friends was diagnosed with a mental illness. She came to me because she knew I could help her spin it. Together we brainstormed how this was helping her. Where was the gift in this particular package? Sometimes beautiful things are wrapped in ugly paper. I had a career in communication, and now I clearly see the spins, the way people find evidence for almost anything they want to believe about the world so that they can feel in control. I also see that they're not. I love walking down the street and seeing everyone, each wrapped up in their own cocoon of story, each spinning a world in a different way to serve their own purposes, true or false, helpful or destructive. I find our human propensity to harness our world into self-serving stories so awesome, powerful, and beautiful. It is kind of amazing. I only wish we would restrain ourselves to using it for good, keep to the truth, and refrain from pretending we can see into other people. The truth is that we're largely blind to their thoughts, their motives, and their actions. As people, we only notice what we understand, and as much as we might wish to tell ourselves otherwise, we don't actually understand very much. I once drove a couple of developmentally disabled adults across town. At one point, they were each trying to convey their opinion. I could clearly see that neither one of them had any idea what the other one was talking about. After a while, I saw them each decide that the other secretly agreed with them. They then smiled at each other in an I like you kind of way. And I thought that's exactly what we are doing all the time. We don't really get what the other person is talking about, where they're coming from. We just decide if we like them or not, if they're a friend or a foe, and proceed from there. I wish we would pick friends significantly more often. While understanding breeds compassion, it isn't actually necessary. Maybe we could just be kind because we would all be happier, healthier, and safer, and that would be good. Maybe there's no such thing as deserving something. Maybe there's only being someone, and maybe that's enough. And that is the trickster in real life. The artist whose base material is truth and final creation is understanding or misunderstanding, depending on how deep we're willing to look. Misunderstanding is easy. It allows us to stand in shallow waters and gaze at our own reflections, mistaking them for something outside of ourselves, evil or beautiful. Understanding is difficult. It requires diving into our own depths and confronting what we may not want to know about ourselves so that we can subtract our reflections from the pictures we see. Next time, the monster trickster. Author responsibly. <laughs>